Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for the week ending Friday, the 6th of September. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast this week, uh, you will hear former Breakfaster Jess McGuire and her mate Emma Smith, who came in to talk about their fringe show off, off, off Broadway. Uh, it's a karaoke show and it sounds like a lot of fun. Mm. And uh, Daniel filled us in on his living arrangements, which are in flux, <laughs> but hopefully settling down soon. Uh, also, we had a chat about uh, romantic things we do for our partners. Was it a competition? Who knows? <laughs> uh, and also, we got to chat to uh, Jane Gilmore about her book, Fixed It, Violence and Representation of Women in the Media. And we spoke to Nat Harris, our Friday funny bugger, about sauna etiquette. And Zachary Drucker, multimedia artist, LGBT activist and producer of Transparent. Uh, also, Michael Harden popped in for Food Interlude, talked about the importance of ambience in restaurants and noises that we make when we're eating, kind of. Yum, yum, yum. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. An interactive karaoke show at this year's Melbourne Fringe will bring the audience together through the joy of communal singing. Called Off, Off, Off Broadway Karaoke, the all-in musical extravaganza is hosted by performing artist and DJ and writer and broadcaster <laughs> uh, Jess McGuire and Emma Smith. Uh, both of you, welcome aboard. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, it's really great to be here on Breakfasters. What an honour. I'm a huge fan of the show. So nice to have you back. Yeah. Um, Can you tell us what is in store for Off, Off, Off Broadway? Uh, What's in store for the audience? Emma, would you like to start with this one? Sure. Well, uh, it's six musicals in karaoke form over eight nights. And rather than going to a karaoke night where you get to choose the song and the artist, you come to a karaoke night where we're playing the songs from a particular musical in order. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's not like you're going to get called up, like, who would like to sing Rizzo or who would like to do this song from Les Mis or whatever. Um, I'll run you through the musicals in a team. <laughs> um, but, like, we're kind of throwing a mini production, as, as as much of, like, a Les Mis production as you could possibly do in squeezing a two-and-a-half-hour musical into 50 minutes, While right? choosing the cast, like, two seconds before each song goes on. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> when you come in, and it's also, like, when we say audience participation, you have to understand that probably, like, one of my biggest fears is the word audience participation at a Fringe Festival show, yeah. right? Yes. It yes. strikes terror in the heart of, like, any logical person. I kind of thrive on it. Yeah, you, we are very different, and this is, <laughs> this is the beautiful chemistry that's been created. Um, but you, so you're not getting on stage if you don't want to be on stage, right? So you get to come in, you get to like fill out a little form, which you'll tell us like which songs you love, which parts you think they might play. Genderless, gender's just a construct. So if you're a dude and you've always wanted to sing like a Sandy song from Greece or whatever, like do whatever you want. Um, and then we'll just draw it out before each song. We have like the roughest collection of costumes in the most beautiful way possible. Like they're not official costumes, but like they capture the essence of mm. some people. Oh. Yeah. And they're costumes that can work for many different shows as well. So, I mean, there's a one piece with the face of a lion on it that I think might be just for the Lion King, but if you could pull it off in Lame Is. Rocky Horror could work. Rocky Horror? Like, I, w- I welcome that as well. So it's just like, it's it's totally fruity, but somehow like really insanely fun. And bespoke videos. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, like I think we're both really conscious of not grabbing everyone that we meet in the street and go, do you know how much work we're doing that won't be appreciated, right? Like you guys will turn up, 
you'll sing some songs, you'll go home and go, that was a lovely night. Like, we, on the other hand, <laughs> have eyes that are bleeding blood every night. Like, mm. we, yes, we, we, we spent several weekends filming tributes to, like, those, those early 90s, like, VHS karaoke clips. People walking around a pond, feeding some darts, yeah. like, silhouette in the moonlight. Oh. We're dancing in pavilions for no reason, which... I did around Footscray, and thank you to the people of Footscray who were extremely accepting of a strange woman <laughs> dancing in public places to no music, and everyone just kept walking past going, good day, oh, do you need some more room to dance? Like, they were lovely about it. And, like, just we're keeping them up ourselves, but we're like, yeah, we basically made all the videos. And then on top of that, we had to learn Emma's a genius, tech genius, and has figured out, figured out this, like, subtitling software. So we've learnt how to karaoke subtitle, which mm-hmm. is, like, wow. a niche skill that I never – considered was a skill and now we walk past karaoke bars and we're like interesting font choice yeah (laughs) and getting the rhythm right of every word my god that's how intimately we've had to i mean again like don't feel sorry for us we chose this but every syllable i know every syllable of every song that i've done (laughs) and it's like it's going to haunt me till i die (laughs) and it's going to be a great show so Do, do you have a preference with the bouncing ball or the the moving shade for we went with moving shade just because it was what was available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, bouncing ball is something that you need to be taught by a master. <laughs> you go overseas. There's many years of training. We're not quite there yet. It helps if your family's it, done it. Yeah, yeah. It's I, all who you know with the bouncing ball scene. Keep going. I am so astounded at the level of effort that has gone into a fringe show. <laughs> do you do know you, mean as a, as a performer? Yeah. You're like, but what do you also, normally do? Phone it in. The poor, the no. poor people at Fringe are listening now, going, "Geraldine, <laughs> we thought you cared." <laughs> yeah, phone it. In. No, but it's just the idea of this show on paper. It's just like in itself, what a fun idea! You just come in and go, "Yeah, I want to play um, mm. Simba and the Lion King, please," <laughs> and then you put your name in your hat. And to me, that would be enough, like if you just play the backing track. <laughs> And someone comes on stage and you get to sing it with some other people around you, I don't know, and put on a wig. Yeah. To me, that's like, oh, what a fun night out. Can you this is so our great. next yeah. show, please? <laughs> yeah. But now, but you've added in, there's tech, yeah. there's the video. Oh, you don't even know the stuff that we haven't told you. Oh. Every, the worst bit is, is that when we had this idea initially, like five months ago, we're like, well, this will... We'll phone it in, Geraldine style, we said to each other. Like, we're like, this would be an easy, fun show. Like, nothing too, like, intense and hectic or whatever. And we then, didn't have to devise anything. Oh, no, and now it's just like, no, let's devise six different musicals <laughs> and let's throw them on different nights. And, like, we won't know who's performing them, but, like, that'll be fun, that'll be fine. But and that's what's stressing me out for you yes. as well. The element of, guys, anything can happen. Yes, yeah. and that, that's isn't the best that wonderful? Bit, because, yeah. like, the thing with karaoke is it makes the ordinary extraordinary. Yeah. When it's good, and so we just have to facilitate a really joyful, fun, everyone all in experience. Oh. So, what do you, what do you, what what are the two of you doing on the <laughs> night? I don't know. I don't know. This is an intervention, isn't it? Okay. No, yeah. Drinking heavily. We're yeah. kind of just like hype people, I think. Really. Yeah, right. I mean, so you're the host essentially. Yeah, yeah we're not. Oh. We're not. We're not performing. I mean, no. it would have to be like zero tickets sold for it to be. And now I've just never performed. <laughs> we'll do it. Yeah, we yeah. would absolutely do. You know what? You give us a stage for an hour, you're going to get a show. Um, yeah, uh, we'll we'll be like the hosts, and we'll be yeah. able to you know bring, keeping things flowing. But like as helping far with costumes, helping with costumes yeah, and right. stuff. But like you know, stepping and, in if they if, if someone they need to find a friend. Yeah. 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 Absolutely, and I recommend like you know, there's a few songs from Jesus Christ Superstar. I wouldn't mind having a spin at. So oh, yeah. tap me in if you need it. No, what? don't, don't. It's not my job. What's a common error with uh, karaoke that you observe and that you would, you know you wish people would fix? 
Uh, six people shouting into one mic. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we don't have the budget for that. Two mics <laughs> max at the fringe, so that's how we well, don't solved have that the problem. love shack on the list, so I think you'll be all right. Oh, Man, I Feel Like a Woman is our favourite. <laughs> we were toying with finishing every show with Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Oh, I wish you would. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it is a banger, but we were just like, mm, my tear people out of the world of, you know, the French Revolution of the 1830s. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Valjean gets up the top, it's up top of the barricade. <laughs> 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 Which honestly was the twist I was waiting for in yeah. the Jackman <laughs> adaptation. But and it was the ending that should have happened. You've been hitting up Russell Crowe? I... <laughs> yeah, but but that's a constant. There's nothing to do with the show. Just every year or so, I check in with Russell on Twitter. No response yet. Furious and envious. He's in town. Well, that was the worst part. I asked him to come to the show. I, I was a bit delirious. I'd been subtitling One Day More from Les Mis, which has 17 different parts, and I just uh-huh. my brain was exploding. And then I was like, you know, you should see this show, Russell Crowe. <laughs> and then he didn't reply. But then he's like, oh, how great's Melbourne? I'm here at the Boomers game or something. I was like, you're here for basketball, but you won't even respond to a fringe festival invite like it's just a bit rude i think but that's fine uh do you have a favorite uh show lined up Ooh. yeah look uh we don't love any of our children yeah, 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 yeah. i absolutely do Same. Emma, uh, well, we should run through the shows that we're doing yeah, let's do that. so on the thursday night next oh my god it's next thursday night. next yes. thursday night we open with, we open, <laughs> <laughs> we open with greece um hashtag justice for rizzo like oh. we, we love rizzo you're, so wearing, much. you're wearing a leather jacket so i feel like you're a greece girl i really am well no i'm i'm definitely like probably more a t-bird but, but <laughs> okay but that's fine i'm wearing leopard print so what oh does my, that say oh my god we've become greece <laughs> it's, it's, anyway. i was thinking the lion king oh yeah oh. i've just okay um <laughs> friday night friday the 13th we're doing rocky horror pitch show um, Saturday night we're doing Mamma Mia, a.k.a. because it's so lacking in plot. The songs of ABBA. Essentially, yes. like, I think even Meryl Streep would agree that that was the summary of her of her movie. Um, Sunday, of course, Day of Our Lord, we're doing Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh. That's Mummy's favourite. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm mad for it. And like, I understand. What, yeah, what's really great is that cross-culturally, like, did you know New Zealand had their whole own scene? Like, cause We've we got I, a whole own heaps of things. Oh, you know, they're definitely... What do you mean? Like a whole other new no, scene in Jesus Christ Superstar? 1992, we had the Australian reboot, and so I'm like, Kate Soprano, John, John Farnham, John yeah. Stevens from Noiseworks. Like, that's the iconic cast yeah. in my brain. They had their own... We thing. had Margaret Ehrlich and Jay Lagaya. Same oh backing gosh. track. Same oh. backing track, but they're singers. So we just, like, oh. had this cultural moment of going, what? It's the same song, but it's a... Yeah, yeah, wow. it was mind-blowing. Oh. Monday we have off to cry. Tuesday, <laughs> Tuesday we do The Lion King. Wednesday we do Les Miserables. Um, Thursday we're back with The Lion King because we know a zeitgeist when we see it. <laughs> uh, and then Friday we close with Grease again. God. And wow. good, good-natured lurkers are welcome. Oh, oh my yeah. God, yeah. Mm. You don't, What's you'd... a good-natured lurker? Just like no not trench coat. Not a trench coat. Not a trench coat. Just that classic. Back... Yeah, no. Um, no, please come along. You can sing in the audience like from sitting down, but you don't have to sing at all. Mm. There's also the option if you're, like, you're really not a singer but you love the musical, there'll be options yeah. for people to get up and maybe... Tap dance? Tap dance. Was... <laughs> that was not where I was going, but yes, that is an option. We discussed that last I really night. I really hope They're... that happens. If you are a size nine we're just saying there might the opportunity might come up um but also to to narrate like as in i really i really like the idea of like you know just what What happens between this song and this song we can't can't do every song so we might need you to give us a storyline can i ask also just what is what is an underrated anything you want (laughs) what is an underrated karaoke song okay superstar by the carpenters oh you love superstar i love the carpenters 
what's an under a karaoke song? Um, I just always do Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen, and I think it seems really obvious, but the karaoke bar at the roads says it's just you, they say, like, looking <laughs> quite weary. <laughs> quite weary, and then, like, don't put it on, and then they misread my name, and they go, Under Pressure for Tess, and then I get up and they go, bloody wire again. Uh, off, off, off Broadway karaoke is on at Melbourne Music Fringe Hub Trades Hall every night, bar Fun. one, from Jeez. September 12th to 20. Go to melbournefringe.com.au for details. And we've been speaking with Jess McGuire and Emma Smith. Try Thank you both so much for coming lonely, in. <laughs> is there anything, any final words for us? Oh, yeah. Have you queued it up? Oh, well. Because Geraldine's doing a. No, I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not so righteous. Everything's fine. Triple R. Daniel, your living arrangements are about to change. Yeah, they're in a state of flux. Mm-hmm. State of flux. The worst state they can be in. <laughs> yeah. You've been like um, house hunting for the last couple of weeks. I've been. I've been going. Talk us through it. I've been looking. I've been turning up to house inspections. I went to one house inspection where uh, they didn't, they weren't there. The real estate agent wasn't there. I was the only one there, and I didn't have a car. So I, you know, slept for an, over an hour to be there and they weren't there. But it ended up being next to the headquarters of a uh, b- b- bikey gang anyway. So I... Oh, you were happy to... <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was happy to... How do you know that, that the way. real estate agent hadn't turned up? Or maybe they oh, had. Oh, it was locked. I mean, it was, there, was, there was just no one there. Was um, the real estate agent locked inside <laughs> <laughs> by the bikey gang? I mean, yeah, because I've... My sister also... In Frankston lives next in the same street as a bikey headquarters, and it's it's just you know like there are CCTV cameras out the front, the wall there are the violent dogs, uh, unsavory characters. Cameras, that's handy. Yeah, but it's to protect them, not (laughs) us. Uh, Yeah, so you just you're just getting watched that you're not a. And I thought I was walking around and I, because I was wandering the street, like looking for the real estate agent. And I'm like, they're inside their bunker thinking I'm a cop. You look like a (laughs) (laughs) mom. So I don't need that hassle every day. Uh, But yeah, and, and so, you know, I was on my way to run an errand and my dad was with me. And so he turned up to a a real estate uh, inspection. And, uh, but, I think it's been a while since he was in that world. Because we're talking, we're talking a, a rental property at the moment, aren't we? Because mm. you, you have a, you own an apartment in the city. At what stage in your life did you, when you got your apartment where where you live, did you think, oh, that's it, I'm done, I'm never going to have to move again? Because that's how I felt. Well, it's a one bed, it's a one bedroom. I, I mean, I, I was renting in my place. So, yeah, I mean, it's a one bedroom. So you would think, you would hopefully, circumstances might require more space at some point. But I was living there renting and then it was, became available to oh. buy. So, so oh, they, the dream. Yeah, the dream. Yeah, so I didn't have the to move out anyway. So... I so, always. How often do your friends go? I just wish I could buy this place. Yeah, yeah. And oh. I, I, I really. How long you, had you been living, uh, like renting it for? Maybe one or two years. Oh. It really was. I and I, I love where I live. And it's, yeah. And um, the the real estate agent would always say, um, people want to come and have a look at it. I'm like, oh, but I wanted it. So, oh. so I'm like, so I, I kept. Would you deliberately make it messy? I would. Oh my god! I would lower be the, the creepy guy sleeping in the, <laughs> no, in the corner. No, I would do that. But 
but I did I did lower the blinds to make it a bit more dank. Oh yeah. I um I pulled out the couches and the TV just a couple of inches to make the room look smaller. Oh yeah, you're so smart. Yeah, I would put the the painting or any artwork a little bit skew if just so it was wow. asymmetrical. What monster lives here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then so I'm like, okay, so no one wanted it. I'm like, awesome. But it was it it was becoming a bit of a drain trashing my own apartment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Also, there's something mentally not great about going into that headspace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I cooked fish the night before. <laughs> Uh, so, but then, uh, as it turned out, uh, my uh, brother-in-law came into contact with somebody who had inspected the place, my place. <gasps> oh my god! Totally a, a freakish accident uh, or coincidence. Yeah. And um, he said to my brother-in-law, "Is like, tell you what, if I do buy it, the first thing to go is the tenant." Oh. oh. <laughs> So I did too well, good a job. Accomplished. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, I, yeah, it was good a success. You. Thanks good very much. Uh, I'm really proud about your commitment. <laughs> so, so this new place, Dad, Dad came along with me because we were on our way to somewhere else. But yeah, he's out of practice looking at rentals, and I think he has a different uh, standard for rentals as opposed to if you're buying, mm. because he was unremitting in his dissatisfaction and vocalising it. Uh, to the point of annoyance oh. towards the real estate agent. Right, he has not been in the rental market yeah, exactly. for a long time, has he? So, and I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't looking at her and like rolling my eyes or anything. I mean, I, she, I think she, she knew that he was a bit of an odd bot in terms yeah. of because he was critiquing the paint job. It was like, he <laughs> was like, are they coming back to finish it? You know, and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and then did it, you say anything to him? Or? No, I mean, I I didn't because he was doing me a favour. I, yes. I, I didn't want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. And I thought she must see this all the time. Or uh, I I didn't I didn't realise the extent to which he was jeopardising my future <laughs> <laughs> because uh, the real estate agent was like, okay, you can move in. We we like your application. However, um, is your is your dad going to be living there? <laughs> <laughs> and had to assure, had to assure her no, but she didn't believe. So, so Jesse had to turn up, oh and we God. had to make it make a commitment that Dad would not be given a key, or you know, <laughs> because he's, you know, he, yeah, he was so is- negative. That is, they would never. I love, I love that so much because the rental experience is usually sucking up to real estate agents mm. and going. I don't mind a bit of rising damp. That's fine. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, exactly. you, I love that yeah. your dad was in there just giving yeah. it to them. Uh, you know, there was water damage in places and the, the paint job wasn't good and then he was wondering why they'd <laughs> sealed up something with plaster, like what's behind there. <laughs> and wow. she didn't, she, you know, to be fair, she didn't have – she just didn't want to engage well, with it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she usually doesn't have to. No, yeah. exactly. so good. Yeah. I was trying to think the other day though – I think most of the rental properties I went to were I was just moving into an already pre-existing share house. Yeah, yeah right. I think I'd ever, That's a dream, yeah. not having to go through the actual shitty process of applying. Well, I think I and, tried to go through that oh. process but never had any luck, mm, yeah. you know. And it, this is a share house. Like, it's pl- – you know, a lot of the people that were coming through were talking about how do you – how do four, your three or four people apply. Yeah. And so – you know, it's been maintained as a share house, but you know, I'm going to leave. Oh, out. you won't know yourself going from a one bedroom to a 
a big I know. House. Well, that's the thing. So, so as the stuff gets consolidated, uh, my girlfriend Jessie is being more, you know, there's not very diplomatic anymore in terms of what's going to... What's coming in? But yeah, what, she wants what's going to go in the dumpster? Yeah, so the, yeah, wouldn't you have all these spare rooms to chuck your shit in now? Yeah. Well, there is. There is that. Uh, there's, you know, I'll have an office. Okay. Uh, so she doesn't have to see any cords. Oh, um, <laughs> but, but she, you know, I've got, I, I've got now what's termed an op shop box. So she, she came in and put everything in a box that she doesn't want me to have anymore. Oh no, what is, what's in there? Anything? Nothing that's fatal. It's fine. Like some coasters, <laughs> you know. Uh, that's fair. Are they, are they so, coasters that you've collected from pubs when you were 18? No, okay. they were coasters from overseas, I suppose. And I don't know. Like, Do you there was use a plant. coasters? Uh, not as much as I should, let's be honest. And how many coasters does a person need? Probably none. I use co- yeah. No, I love. I use a lot of coasters. Give them to me. Bring them in. All right, I'll bring them in. Bring them in tomorrow. Absolutely. And then can- oh my god, we can have house swap on air. Yeah, <laughs> I'll bring some stuff in. Yeah, uh, I'll take your coasters. But there's, there's a there's a fake plant that she's in there, and I, I you yeah, know, throw that out. I can't be married to that fake plant. Well, how big is it? I don't own a fake plant. Well, no, this is. I agree in principle. Absolutely, fake plants are absurd. However. Uh, this place has an airlocked window, and any real plant would just die instantly. So it's just, it's just, and I, I, I'm, really can't plants go without air. Uh, I mean, enough air for you and to it's, breathe. It's harder to, yeah. it's hard to water. You've, it's, uh, it's not easy. Um, we're going to ask Digger about this when he gets in. What about fake plants? No, yeah. about airlocked. Oh, whether, whether it's possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it's also because I live in a very visible spot. And so it's like anything that covers the window, just anything, right. because if people look at me, oh, now I want to find. Now I want to go and see where you live and stare up at the window. I'll be staring right back at you okay. <laughs> <laughs> behind the plastic plant. Triple R. I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Something with a crunch and very sweet. Well, begrudgingly back from Italy, Michael Harden is in the house for Food Interlude. Hello, Michael. It's trying not to sound resentful. <laughs> <laughs> now that you're here, what, uh, what's caught your eye? Well, I thought I'd just talk a little bit about noise in restaurants because it sort of seems to be that people, it's a thing that it's number, one, number two complaint after bad service. Um, about noisy restaurants. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. People people really don't like it. So I thought I'd take a quick survey in the room. Okay. How do you feel about noisy restaurants? I don't like... Well, if I can't hear the person talking that I'm talking to, then it's no good. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of part of the point of going out to dinner is to be yeah. able to hear. Yeah. I have a bit of a selective hearing, so I've got a thing where if there's a, my ear can only hear the loudest thing in the room. Mm. And so I find it like so distressing being in a really loud restaurant or if there's extremely loud music. There's got to be su- – it's such a fine balance with yeah. me. Otherwise, mm. I, can, I can sit there kind of just not being able to enjoy the experience <laughs> at all. It's exhausting. Yeah. And intentionally noisy restaurants, it, it seems like there's a, it's a category. Like it's, it's – as though some people are uh, graduating from going to nightclubs. 
Yes. And then bringing the nightclub experience to the dining experience. Yeah, well, there is there is sort of a science to it. So it's sort of like it's kind of – it's one of those – noisy restaurants came from – it's like a, one of those care for what, for what you wish for sort of things because restaurants used to be very quiet. Really? Like in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. It was all about huh. plush furnishings and curtains and linen on the tables and no music. and kind of, So it was like So this, you'd hate that. Yeah, because well, I'd be able to hear everyone chewing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And sort of – and everybody having to whisper because if you were having an intimate conversation, everybody would hear. Oh. So, you know, people were going like – so it was could be really dull. Like every – and like also if you made any faux pas, you know, ordered the wrong wine or anything, mm. you know, you felt like an idiot because everybody could hear. So people were like, <laughs> now it's time. To you know, we want to we we want to make this more casual and everything, and so that was and so they started using looking at bars which were much more raucous and sort of mi- mixing the two together. So it was sort of like so then all of a sudden it was they they were using started using surfaces and stuff that would traditionally be in diners or cafeterias or things oh. like that, so hard surfaces. So all of a sudden it was sort of like concrete and steel and mirrors and glass and timber. And with no sound baffling. And so in those rooms, it sort of sets up these things called standing waves, um, which kind of start ricocheting around the place. It's like a sonic mirror, the whole place. So it all sort of bounces around. And and there's also a thing called the Lombard effect that's a thing in humans where as the noise lifts, they involuntarily start raising the volume of their voice to sort of compete with a number of voices. So it ends up everybody screaming at the same time. So, you know, that's kind of like... Yeah, so it's sort of like you've got this cacophony of noise coming with, you know, the music and and then you've all got all the other noises that are going on. So you've got chairs scraping and cutlery and exhaust fans and open kitchens and espresso machines and coffee grinders and everything. So it's like noise is a huge thing in restaurants and it's sort of like there's um, architect friends and designer friends of mine that I've talked to said that people need to consider consider um, sort of acoustic insulation is as important as climactic insulation. So, you know, it's sort of like you've got to think about it because it's very, very expensive to insulate a place once you've built it. And because uh, it's sort of like you can put things like, you know, that people put foam underneath chairs and they put rubber tips on the end of chair legs and they, um, you know, you can put some sound panels around and stuff. But it's sort of like it's really sort of retrofitting. Mm. And to do it properly, if you're retrofitting, can cost twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to do that and you need to get experts in to do it. So it's uh, best to do it before you do it. And there's lots of different ways of doing it. Like there's, there's acoustic paint and there's sound panels and there's, you know, all these different ways that you can – and, you know, put it, making sure that you've got an expert putting in speakers so the music is not kind of blasting people. I came across acoustic lampshades recently as yes. well. Yes, yep, acoustic mm. lampshades, acoustic furniture. Mm. So it's all – you know, it's, it is one of those things that it kind of uh, – that needs to be addressed. And so, oh, sorry. No. I was going to say, is there a cultural element to noise in restaurants? Because, I mean, you would have travelled and eaten a bit. I noticed that when I was in Paris, say, the Parisians speak in this kind of low timber, almost sound like trombones, like a room full of Parisians sounded like this room full of trombones. Whereas Australians, when I heard them together overseas, kind of sounded like galahs in the way that we, you know, these kind of pitches. So is there... Australians are sort of like seagulls with a chip. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 And and, and, and I was was like, is this because Parisians have their rooms... You know, is it is it the way that they speak it's, over meals, or is it just the nature of their voices? I think or? it must be sort of a pitch of voice. I yeah, think as well right. because you go into restaurants, say in Greece, in Athens, mm. and they're noisy. Like the restaurants are loud there, but it never seems to be. It seems to be that noise that you can still hear. Yes. So it's sort of like they've got the baffling right, 
or something. Mm. But there is a sort of like there's – the other thing about um, restaurants and noise is that a lot of people like, you know, say somebody like Chris Lucas who has a bunch of restaurants in Melbourne and they're all quite loud, particularly Chin Chin is his most famous restaurant, mm-hmm. which is the Thai restaurant with a queue and it, it is like a nightclub, you know, that sort of – it's and he – it's all about it has to have noise because that's the vibe of the of the restaurant. And But even in his restaurant, he adjusts the sound of the music – uh, over the course of the night. So it'll be louder to start with when the restaurant's less full. And then as people fill up, they drop the volume of the music mm. sort of to, to sort of mitigate the Lombard effect in a way. Mm. That sort of so people aren't competing with everything. So why is no one complaining at Chin Chin about the sound? Or, you know, what are people, when people are complaining, what, yeah. are, what are their complaints? Them, the complaints are the ones with Chin Chin, obviously, there's, uh, you know, it is loud, but you kind of. <sighs> You're you accepting you, the contract in a way that you know it's sort of like you're, you're going in there. It's yeah. a, it is a nightclub that serves food. You yeah. know, you're queuing to get in. Everybody's checking out each other in the in the queue. They're like Instagramming everything, and yeah. it, that's just the way that it works. So I think it's in other places where the sound is kind of unbearable. Um, you know, where they've sort of designed that there was a couple. You know, so um, there's a restaurant in North Fitzroy called Supermaxi that serves pizza and everything. It was all terrazzo and really nice fit out, very spare and everything, but it mm. was deafening in the early days like you could not hear and it was to the point where you'd go I don't want to eat here yeah even Mm. though the food was delicious Mm. and then they went in and it's like they've put in all these sound panelings and everything and it's still it's still noisy but they don't um you know but you can hear now and so it's what what about uh, the comfort of the staff well, this is the other thing because it's sort of, I've got a little little list here of like you know decibel levels, mm-hmm. and they're saying so a regular conversation decibel level is sixty, and then like so something like freeway noise is seventy, um, a lawnmower is eighty, um, work covers it cuts it off at eighty five that you don't need to wear ear protection if you work in an eight hour shift. A lot of noisy restaurants are around about ninety five. <gasps> So it is actually a thing that uh, you know that it's it's actually dangerous for the levels for the staff, and a lot of staff will wear those noise cancelling cancelling earplugs so that they can hear kind of what's going on. But like you know, sort of takes out all that clatter mm. and high pitched frequency noises. But it's mm. it's also to the advantage of the restaurant because those the noisy restaurants actually are more profitable because you're looking at a restaurant that has sort of no. It's all um, hard wearing surfaces that are easy to clean Mm. so they're quick and cheaper to clean you've got no linen or curtains or anything like that that need laundering or dry cleaning or anything so that you take that out but it's also that people will um people tend to drink faster and more when it's loud wow and they yes it's a it's like it's there's all this psychology of of acoustics it's amazing so they'll toss more drinks down you know probably drink to forget that you're in this place that you don't want to be in (laughs) and um (laughs) Can relate. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then they also eat quicker and get out quicker. So they can turn tables more easily that way as well. Oh. So, you know, there is this sort of like a psychology about, about sort of getting it. people in and out of there. Is, there, is, is there a genre of music that restaurateurs lean on? I, not really. They're sort of like the ones that know what they're doing tend to avoid vocals. Because that it gets very pitchy yeah. um, and mm-hmm. sort of like start, and it can intrude on conversation as mm-hmm. well, and um, so it's sort of more. But you know, you can't, it depends on the sort of the, the type of atmosphere, obviously, that yeah. you're going to do and everything. I think but there's it, a real art to oh, the soundtrack, the restaurant soundtrack, because absolutely. it can be, it can, it's like walking into a 
clothing store for me where you have a really bad soundtrack that's blasting loudly. It can be the thing that turns me and goes, mm. I just can't sit here. Why this? I can't ignore that this is playing in the background. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and like if it's some horrible track that they drop that suddenly pulls you out of the conversation where you're going, oh, yeah, why are they yeah, playing yeah. this? It's <laughs> totally. ruining my dinner. So I'm not averse to uh, to working in a food court. I quite like to mm-hmm. get the anonymity of a food court. Yes. But the scraping chairs drive me scraping nuts. Scraping chairs, exactly. Oh, even when you exactly. said that, I got a weird tweet. So your advice would be, uh, you know, say rubber cap or something on yeah, a chair. Yeah, chairs, um, foam underneath, you know, that sort of stuff. So, But the, the big advice is to kind of have a look at it before... You do it, but the thing is, you know, acoustics aren't sexy like a like a designer chair or a piece of art or something. So people <laughs> yeah. kind of go, "Let's not spend that twenty thousand dollars on that. Let's buy a new whatever." To so that you know, the people will look at. But it actually it can make a huge difference. Mm. So, and they're saying that they even say that um, noise dampens the palate as well. So when mm. you've, they've done these studies in at um, Manchester University where they have um, you know got people to taste various things and it dampens particularly sweet and salty flavors so it's sort of like you and it also but it um it elevates your appreciation of crunch so texture and so they're saying it's sort of a similar thing to when they talk about airline food so why airline food tastes so bland is because of the constant roar of the jet engines but i'm super dubious that that's the only reason that's you know it's sort of like you know it's sort of like yeah yeah tell yourself that is that did that come from virgin airways you know, sort of like, you know, kind of like... wow how fascinating uh well welcome home thank you very much yeah, I'll, nice I'll be, I'll be trying to be less resentful triple ah Jane Gilmore is a freelance journalist and founding editor of The Bygone and Beloved, The King's Tribune. She holds a Master of Journalism at the University of Melbourne and is a regular columnist for the Agent SMH. Her new book, Fixed It, Violence and Representation of Women in the Media, is out now ahead of two appearances this week and at the Melbourne Writers' Festival. Jane Gilmore, welcome back to Breakfasters. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Um, can you explain the idea and purpose behind the Fixed It project? Um the, the basic idea is that the headlines that the media uses when they're reporting on men's violence against women are really terrible. It started back in 2015 um, and I was, I'd been writing about it and just not getting any traction and I was sitting on a tram one day on my way home and this headline came up on my phone and from memory, it was something like um, Townsville Police say selfie leads to stabbing murder and I just looked at it and went, I've taken some selfies. In fact, I've taken quite a lot. Does this mean that I'm going to be murdered or that I'm going to murder somebody else? Because I can't work it out. Because obviously it's rubbish. Selfies do not cause murder. So I just um, I pulled out my phone and one of those um, the apps that you're supposed to use to make yourself look 10 years younger and 10 kilos lighter, <laughs> just put a red line through the headline and rewrote it as um, man's decision to kill a woman led to stabbing murder and put it out to social media. And... Then I think I was on the phone to my mum for a while. I got home, was just doing stuff, making dinner, watching TV, and picked up my phone a couple of hours later to see what's going on. And it just kind of went in my hand when I turned it on. It just exploded. And I went, oh, picture really does paint a thousand words, doesn't it? Literally those thousand word articles just blown out of the water by this one image that you don't have to explain it. You don't have to go into long, wordy explanations about why this is a problem and victim-blaming this and invisible perpetrators that because it's all right there. You can get it in one glance. And so I just I went, okay, this is it. This is perfect. And it went from there, so I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. You say invisible perpetrator. Is, is that, can you go into that a little bit? Um, yeah. So it's things that come up all the time like um, 
woman dies in domestic violence assault. And <clears throat> yes, she did, and it's it's terrible. But domestic violence assault by who? Like it, the the man that actually killed her is completely invisible in this. And it's a way. This is the thing that constant constantly happens in these headlines: is the men who actually choose to use the violence are either excused or completely erased from the headlines. And I found some research a while ago that says somewhere, obviously varies a lot, but somewhere around 80% of the headlines we see now, we don't click through and read the article. We might not even really pay a lot of attention to the headlines, but they just kind of scroll past and they just slosh around in the back of your mind. And particularly if they're playing on those um, preconceived ideas, those subconscious biases that are already there, those myths about men's violence against women that say that men can't help it, that they just lose control, they just snap, it's because women do something to them to make them snap instead of understanding that violence is a choice, Mm. that it is a choice made every time and every day. Can you talk to us a little bit uh, about the the history of of women in journalism and how it's... um how it's changed over the years and why we've ended up where we are? Look, it's the change has been both a lot and not very much at the same time, mm. if that makes sense. Yep. So um, women were never allowed in journalism. It was like most things, it was a man's profession and that has changed, started to change, sort of follows the same track of feminism. So um, around the end of the war or during the war when all the men were away and stuff still needed to be done, oh, then, okay, we'll let the women do it. And then the men came back and they went, go, off you go back to the kitchen. That didn't work out so well. But even now, um, the most recent ones that I've seen is that the journalism graduates that are coming out are about 50-50 or possibly even more. But by the time you get to the senior levels, it's 70-30. And if you look at the content there's still a huge discrepancy between um, the producers of content, so whether that's radio, TV, print, online, whatever it is, that the named producers of content, it's still around 70% men. And where women do exist in the media, they tend to be concentrated in what we call lifestyle. So, you know, celebrity, food, travel, a little bit of op-ed, but even then it's, it's, you know, it's all vaginas and cupcakes. It's not actual news. Mm. One of the, um, well, it was a book, in fact, but reporting that kind of changed the way I thought about we, I thought about the way we write about sexual assault um, and rape was the book by Anna Crean, Night Games, which followed the rape trial of an AFL player. It was a great book. Yeah, it was an extraordinary book and it really dug into cultural, our cultural and social understandings of um, women and sexual assault, Mm. both in like the judicial system and within structures like sporting organisations. Do you think, but since then, I don't feel like that book had an ongoing effect or flow on into kind of hard journalism, day-to-day journalism. Why can we see a book like that written and we all read it and go, wasn't it amazing to see nuanced analysis of something as complex as this? But we that doesn't have a flow-on effect into, you know, day-to-day headlines that we read and broader journalism. Because I think the changes you're talking about that we need are structural and those structures are so strong and so deeply ingrained in in our everyday lives so it's not just you can't isolate it to one thing of it's just the media or it's just the criminal justice system or it's just the courts that they're all interlinked so there's a really strong relationship between police and media and there's also an equally strong relationship between quite a toxic culture in both of them now I know they're both working on it but um, I was reading the other day that uh, Vic Pohl's doing an investigation into bullying and sexual harassment in the police force 
bullying and sexual harassment and intimidation is actually worse in the media than it is in the police force. I think ours, mm. uh, the, the Women in Media report in 2015 put it at about 48% of women working in media in now have experienced this. My guess is that that would be higher because when you go back to them ex- and explain what sexual harassment actually is, there's first of all the guy, oh, no, no, that's never happened. Oh, you mean like that guy when they're all making jokes about how you got that great interview because you were using your tits to do it? Oh, oh yeah, well, that's happened, but I've never been sexually harassed. So you get this really toxic culture that was built on this idea of really strong gender stereotypes that men are supposed to be all strong and tough and can get stuff done and women are either lying whores or beautiful Madonnas and not much in between. So they're not human. They're polarised and idealised. And both those cultures are inbuilt in policing, in just in crime and in media. So you get this constant feedback loop of particularly for crime reporting, the journalists are talking to the cops, they've all got these underlines, yeah. and then they put it out into the, the world. This is news reporting. People read it. And then those people are on juries because the juries are supposed to be made up of the general public and the general public consume all this news with these constant myths in there about how women lie and men aren't really responsible for their violence. So it's constantly being pumped out Mm. and then it gets pumped back into the criminal justice system and so it's just this constant feedback loop. To change that, you're talking about what I think we should do, which is smash the patriarchy in the capitalist system. <laughs> but that's not something we can do with one book. God, I wish we could. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a little more than that. It's a good hashtag. <laughs> but it's- what, what have you found in relation to sexism in the press gallery or politics in general? Um, look, it exists everywhere. Like I said, it, it permeates all of that. So um, what I was just saying about the link between crime, crime reporting, police, juries, justice system applies equally to politics, po- political reporting, the people that go into um, to politics, the people that win in politics. We know, that particularly in the Liberal Party, the, the domination of the boys' club culture there. The, again, the feedback loop of that, which means that, that you're then making policy designed for rich, straight, white guys and everybody else is the enemy. So this constant loop that goes on, um, I mean, there are obvious exceptions. There are some amazing women in Australia that are doing amazing journalism and I would never ever want to say that's not true but it's almost like the exception proves the rule that I can think of half a dozen but I can think of half a dozen because I know their names because they stand out Mm. but they shouldn't stand out they should just be hey we have some great journalists but Mm. that to be a a great journalist and be a woman you have to be exceptional to be a great journalist and be a man, you just have to be, you know, pretty good at your job. The, the, oh, sorry. I was going to say the book focuses on language really specifically, the language we use, mm. down to down to specific words. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really taken by the, the part where you talk about domestic violence versus family violence. We've now moved – I thought that we now use the term family violence instead of domestic violence because that was seen as um, more descriptive and a bit broader. But you, you talk – you kind of make the point that that's not quite right as well. Um, I don't think we've properly come up with a right term to describe it. So Jess Hill in her book um, talked about it as domestic abuse because we need to understand it as more than just physical violence. And when you say violence, people think, oh, he's punching her. Mm. But it's never just that. The, The domestic abuse is far wider. Family violence is far wider. There's a whole lot of terms for it. I think I actually said in the book, I'm not completely comfortable with any of them because I don't think any of them really describe the the prevalence of it and the complexity of it. It is not just a simple matter of the occasional beating. It's a 
an entire life of being afraid and intimidated and controlled in so many different ways. And physical violence is, is one form. And often you talk to victims who say, well, you know, but that was actually the easiest one to deal with. Mm. It was the other stuff that was so much harder to report, so much harder to get people to understand and so much harder to get away from. And it was the the fear and intimidation and control that was the, the things I couldn't leave. And that the physical violence was just a, a part of that, of, of making me afraid, but it wasn't actually the worst of it. Have you uh, received much pushback in regards to your interpretations? In the book you mentioned journalists argue with some of the the redlining you've done, which is, it, you know, uh, really impressive that you acknowledge it in the book. What, what, what are some of the complaints and your responses? Um, well, one of the things I tried to do in the book was acknowledge that my work mostly concentrates on the headlines, although the book obviously goes into a bit more, but journalists don't write their own headlines. And as much as I've had some people arguing, I've also had some people come back and say, oh, thank you. There was one particular one at the ABC, um, I can't remember her name, the woman that was on air and her stalker broke in when she was on air and sexually assaulted her while she was actually on air. And the ABC, her employer, reported it as man kisses radio presenter while on air, like made it sound like Mm. this romantic rom-com thing. And he was a stalker who sexually assaulted her in her workplace and her own employer reported it that way. It was revolting. Is that Jen Fricker? Yes, that's yeah. right. So yeah. when I changed the headline, I had so many women from the ABC getting in touch with me privately just going, oh, I saw that and my, like my, my stomach turned. It was just disgusting. Thank you so much for doing that. Because also I think, um, particularly for younger journalists, it's very difficult for them to push back against an entire culture often dominated by men in senior positions who just don't get it. Mm. It's not that they're being malicious about it. They're just going, well, I don't see what the problem is. Problem? Yeah, yeah why, are you, why are you creating trouble? It's just a headline. Mm. And often you'll get terrible headlines over quite good stories because a lot of this stuff is court reporting, which is a really difficult job. It's, people don't understand exactly how hard that is to do, to take three days' worth of complex evidence and testimony and a whole lot of just stuff that doesn't even make sense to most people and describe it all in 800 words mm. without breaking any rules, without being in contempt of court. It's it's not easy at all. So you get somebody that's worked really, really hard and has a huge amount of knowledge and expertise and someone slaps a headline over the top of it that they just go, oh my God, I was there. I heard the, the victims testifying. I would never have said that about them. Yeah. Well, Jane Gilmore's new book, Fixed It, Violence and Representation of Women in the Media, is out now through Penguin. You can see you're appearing at two Melbourne Rise Festival events. You're doing this live? Uh, yes. So there's one on Saturday and one on Sunday. Full on. And uh, you can head to mwf.com.au for details. Jane, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. I, um, do you, um, what's the most romantic thing you've, you've ever done for your partner in the last week? In the oh, last God. week? <laughs> that is some bar. The, di- the you, dishes? Oh, that's, that's nice. Is that romantic? That's nice. <laughs> Don't not... ask me this, Daniel. Oh, oh look, handball, you, in you. the last week, I mean, I, uh, there was a dress that Jessie wanted. I knew that she wanted it and it was, the, I think, the company that makes it. Uh, was folding, and so there was just none available. So she found where she could pick it up, and I was privy to it. So I got in touch with the owner of the store before they before she arrived and said, if she tries on likes it, you know, tell her it's taken care of. 
Ooh. And so, Jesus, and why, so you, why, why are you doing this? This is so nice. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's why. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, her her mother was in the store as well with her. So they they tried on, loved it, and you know they've so you got excited. double bonus points. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And then and then when they said taken care of, I think they burst into tears because oh. it was so surprising and n- yeah, nice and lovely. Yeah. Oh, what a nice and thing what a to do. Part, yeah. Huh. What a nice. And I did the dishes. <laughs> You really, yeah. you really raising the bar for surprise I, interaction, romantic yeah. interactions. I started this talk break thinking that I was going to come out on top. Oh, yes. Well, sorry. I've sprung it on you. I've gone there. You guys wouldn't have done anything romantic this week, who you know? And then, and here we are. Well, you know, all right. It wasn't. Maybe it wasn't the last week. Maybe I've been riding on the coattails of that gesture. For when did how it long ago? Oh, no, I can't remember. Time is relative. You know. Oh my god. No, it wasn't. It was. You know, like a few months ago. Was it for a birthday okay. or for a... No, it was just because I knew. No, it wasn't a birthday. Just for being nice. Just because yeah. it was a, an opportunity was there and you took it. Yeah. You've truly made me look mm. like an arsehole on air. I would never ordinarily volunteer it except for the fact that you No, that is, a, that is actually really... That's very lovely. No, that's very great. romantic. It's it's pausing in par- comparison to the romantic thing that I did. Oh, no, I doubt this it. Way. It was just... Um, and I mean, you could call it romantic, but also it, I um, wanted the same thing. So we just <laughs> do you know, like we had um, <clears throat> we just had you know dinner. Like we just had some takeaway for oh, leftovers. Sorry for dinner one night this week, and then um, we're just sitting there watching TV. And I went, "Do you know what would be great? Is some some ice cream?" And we didn't have any. And I, I knew that neither of us would gonna were going to venture out to get any. So is this I thought, a story about you ordering your breeds? No, I, I ordered some ice cream, but without Kath realising. Oh, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I did a sneaky order, right? So I um and so and then it was like I'm like oh, that'd be fun just to order some sneaky ice cream and what a that that'd be cool if it, you know if I can get away with it. Mm. Um, so because I knew if I asked her, I said, "Do you want some ice cream?" I knew she'd go, "Nah, I'll be all right." But secretly. Of course, everyone wants you always ice want cream. It. Mm. You always want yeah. it. Yeah, and if someone asks you, uh, you know, it's like, oh, no, we'll be all right. I'm like, mm. no, we want it. Let's treat ourselves, right? So, <clears throat> I um, so I thought I'll just I'm just going to order it, and then it was like, actually, what flavour and should I get? You know, and so I said, what's your favourite ice cream flavour? <laughs> just straight out. And didn't know how I was going to, you know, answer the question when she asked me why. And I was just like, you know, would she inevitably, did she goes, what do you want to know that? I'm like, oh, just, you know, interested. And she goes, have you been, because I've been on Pinterest looking at um, ideas for weddings and there's so many dumb, like, uh, get to know you kind of, you know, games of like how well do you know your partner and and there's all these so many silly questions and it just sounds like one of the questions that they'd have on that. Have you been looking at that kind of stuff as well? I'm like, nah, just interested to know. She goes, well, it depends on the, you know, the situation and stuff. Anyway, we had a long (laughs) discussion about ice cream and the whole time I'm just like, just give me one of these flavours that is on this list, (laughs) one of the flavours that's on this list. And then she would and I go, bang, all right, got it. I'll put it in. And she goes, but also I'd love a surprise. I'm like, all right, I'm back. Anyway, I've got three different flavours, covered all the options, right, and then – and then sure enough, half an hour later, it was um, 
Oh, you know, because you know, kept track of someone was dropping by and saw when they were arriving, and just got up like out of the seat. She didn't say anything. I just got up, went to the front door, walked outside, grabbed the ice cream, came back in, shut the door. The, Kath hasn't said anything. She's still watching TV. She doesn't even realise that she's gone even, out. Yeah, she was... hasn't. She just kind of hasn't kind of gone. What are you getting up for? Like she just went. Oh yeah, probably in her mind she's gone. You're going to look outside for I don't know what yeah, you're yeah. doing, but off you go. And then I come back in and then I hand her a punnet of ice cream and go, thanks for the new bathroom. And she's like, what? Oh. And I nailed it and I've got what? the right flavours oh, and everything. That's so nice. Yeah, it was great. And the ice cream was great. And then she went away. We didn't eat it all. Like we, you know, <laughs> had a little bit and then she went away and I have since eaten it all. So Wow. What, what's a, what's a punnet? Like I know what a punnet is in, but but did it come? Was it from? I mean, because this is the most decadent thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I didn't oh. even know you could order ice. When I was I was joking about you ordering it on an app. Oh. I I had no idea. Yeah, I this is this is new to me as well. Someone else had mentioned that as a treat they order ice cream from um from somewhere like as when they're hungover. Like a fancy place. Yeah, oh. and, they, and I'm like, oh, what a what a great idea. Does so it, does it have a lid or? Yeah, it just comes in a. In like a, a foam container, and yeah. they just kind of yeah take the ice cream out and put it in in a in a punnet. It's like a, a liter of ice cream, and they put the I, lid on and away you go. This is you know why this is so great is because there's so often you're sitting at home, and I think I really wish Andrew would bring me a treat. Maybe I don't yeah. vo- verbalize or vocalize, you know. But you, you think of it, and then they get home from the supermarket, and you're like, oh, what did you get? And you're like, maybe you bought me some Smarties, but then inevitably. No, no, just no. I bought some capsicum. Yeah, just and, the stuff you need. And, yeah. and the, the, I love the idea that subconsciously you've picked up on the, the fact that everyone actually wants a treat always. Yeah. Yes, you never always. don't want a treat. Yeah, but you don't get it always. No. That's what makes it special. Yeah. I think what but what made my uh, recent similar experience well, I just don't bought, know I brought, that I would call them similar. No, but. no, no, no. I'm not. This is a this <laughs> is an, an additional gesture. I brought home licorice, but because I don't really enjoy licorice, whereas you enjoy ice cream, ah. I feel like it was more selfless. Yeah, I don't need that. You need to keep talking yourself up. I feel like <laughs> oh, no. you're you're clearly the more superior partner. Yeah. In this room. You, you win this round. <laughs> Melbourne's own Triple R. It's time for our Friday phone. Funny bugger. Wow. And uh, look who it is. It's Nat Harris. Hi, Nat. How are you? Hello. I'm Hello, good. Natalie. I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm a little bit nervous this morning, actually. I'm concerned that I've overcommitted myself financially. Um, are you living beyond your means? Always. <laughs> no, but last night, I'm in a family WhatsApp group, and last night my sister, who has got um, two kids, and one of them, the oldest is seven, so she's in primary school, she just text me and she's like okay sorry to do this family but just a picture of like a walkathon fundraising sheet she's like oh. this is tomorrow and she hasn't got any sponsors got any got any donations what do you want to donate for so you have to name you a, said like a dollar a lap i said two dollars a lap <gasps> yeah i know i said two dollars a lap without key information okay because yeah. i don't know 
what the lap is. How big the lap is. Exactly. They could be doing oh. a lap around a merry-go-round for all I know. <laughs> and they're walking for 45 minutes. I read the form more this morning. They're working, walking for 45 minutes. They're seven years old. My niece is very competitive. She's going to run, isn't she? She is, yeah. I know. So I don't know what I'm up for. Well, let's I've gone, hope oh, she well. gets knackered and, you know, falls over. Exactly. I need – I should have <laughs> – yeah. You know, it's taken Fingers down crossed. by an, an injury. Gets tan bark in her let's, shoe. Oh. Let's assume she's going to be walking a lap of, like, the footy oval. Yeah. The oval, perhaps. Yeah. So 45 minutes. They're going to fatigue, I think. And my sister's like, oh, you'd be surprised. Yeah. I'm they're like, young. They'll just keep going. Forty-five minutes. Forty-five minutes. They go. Is this? Is this post recess? Is this pre recess? Mm. How many juice boxes have they had? Anyway, so next time you see me, I could be skint. Absolutely <laughs> skint. You guys may need to buy me a coffee. Um, Can you put a cap on it though? Yeah, I'd like to cap this. At- but it's what a are you? Fu- gonna, it's a fundraiser. What does it raise? I, I'm, they're building a school. Oh, oh great. Cool. So, yeah, so anyway, maybe they're doing exactly. laps around. You know it. what? So it's great. Um, I just can't believe lapathon still exists. I know. They've just stood the test of time. I remember they were really exciting and doing like the um the readathons as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, I remember, but I would never do it until the like the night before and then just make just make up all these names, all these books I read. Which brings I wonder me... if they'll write, round it up as well. Like if you well, if it's will. like night Yeah, of course they will. They'll be like, Oh, your auntie's a comedian, she's got cash to burn. <laughs> <gonna say." laughs> but it also oh, your auntie's a comedian, she's got no cash. Yeah, she's got no cash. Look, let's take her down a few notches. I think she's trying to impress you and your friends. <laughs> um, no, but actually taking a left hand um what what I want to talk about today is that I – so about once a week I go swimming. I swim laps. It's been something I've been doing to try and, you know, manage my mental health, mm. to be honest. No, it's great. And then so I swim the laps and then I go and I have a sauna afterwards. Oh, lovely. It is incredible. I just cannot recommend it more. Okay. Is it cold? Is the water cold? It, I, the pool is outside, so it's cold to get in, but swimming in winter has become my new favourite thing. Mm. It's amazing. It's, it is pretty good. I'm a big fan of swimming. Yeah. How many laps are you doing? I swim a K. So That's very good. Well yeah. Done. So um, and then I do the sauna for twenty minutes. Um, but I was in. Do the... you put your head under the water? Of course, yeah. please. So Jeff oh, used sorry, to swim under the water. water. Oh. I'm just going back to when Jeff used to swim laps and oh. just keep his head above the water. Oh, that's so. <laughs> what? Yeah, he just used to wade. Was he a Labrador? <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's morning, wading. Jeff. Yeah. Wading is the perfect word, Sarah. That is brilliant. But look, like, there's all different kinds of etiquette issues that come into play when you go into a sauna. But um, this week, I saw something that I had never seen before, and I, I want to know what you guys think of this. Is I went into the sauna, and <laughs> so upset already. And you're what? I'm just upset in anticipation. <laughs> yeah, there was. Um, a guy in there <laughs> reading a book. Oh, okay. Oh. Reading a book in a sauna. What? Oh. It's meant to be 70 to 100 degrees Celsius oh, in there. Yeah. What are you doing? Were well, you scared the book's going to catch on fire? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. One, yeah, it is impractical, I am thinking, sure. absolutely. Like, I hope that book's yours because yeah. you've ruined it. Secondly, I don't buy it. 
that he's actually reading. Mm-hmm. He just wants to look like. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's an attention-seeking move. Discuss. Oh, maybe. Oh, well, I think that perhaps it's a distraction to how hot. Because I've been oh, in saunas. What? Oh, don't look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in saunas. Don't defend and him. And I, I cannot. It's like I can't handle how, you know. Just because I'm not doing anything, and then I just think about how hot it is, and then I go, I have to get out. Yeah, okay, a book will fix that. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Maybe. Just... I, I... What was? You know what the book was? Good question. I did not get to see what the book was, but I was thinking about that. I'm like, what could be the worst book? To make this scenario worse, like I'm Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit, or yeah, I feel like it's something kind of obnoxious, something instructive, like how to influence people and make friends. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That'd be messed up. Yeah, because I'm thinking there's some books you read in a public forum like that where you want to talk about it, you want to preach, don't you? Yes. You want to go, oh, haven't you read this? Oh, well, this is amazing, and here are my thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Like something like uh, I haven't read it, but it's renowned for having people love it, um, and they're quite insufferable, or something like The Infinite Jest by right. David yeah. Foster Wallace or <laughs> something like that. The Infinite Jest would be maybe the it's, worst it's book. It's just called Infinite Jest. Is it? Did yeah, I, yeah. What, no, no, no I'm, I'm choosing to be a dick oh, about it. Oh, yeah, great. Um, you're you now the guy it. reading Infinite Jest yeah, in a sauna. Yeah, 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 well, I've read a magazine in a sauna. Uh, I mean, interesting. Wow, you kept quiet for a while. Well, I, I, you know, well, I'm you're with Geraldine. you surprising given your attitude. Exactly. I mean, the only, the danger is when you're reading, A, you're right, you're ruining the book. Or the the paper, uh, but if someone's throwing water on the coals, yeah, you can't even see. No. That's what I get upset when when someone chucks something on the coals. Uh, and but that's what we're there. Can't see anymore. You can't see anymore because you're in a sauna what? and you're there. To me, read. I, why are you reading a magazine anyway? Do you are you uncomfortable looking at people? Because that's what I was thinking as well. It's, oh it's, yeah, that's some people, people, don't know what to do people with go eyes. on holidays to sit in the heat and read. So it's, and yet, when this is occurring in your hometown, suddenly it's... Um, but they're not sitting in a box. <laughs> I'm shocked not, in a pool. They're not sitting in a box, half naked, <laughs> dripping with sweat. Exactly. You're in there to sweat. With other, with other people. You're in there too. Sweating is something that... That's what you can tell. You can do other things in while you're sweating. <laughs> what, you can't Disgusting. read a magazine in a town? No. no. What? No, next to other people. I just think it reeks well, of an ulterior motive. You've got to stare uncomfortably into the distance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, I'll be, I'd rather learn than wallow in my own The you art know, and the art of gazing. war would be the other. Yes, absolutely, the art yeah. of war. But now, so I just wanted to quickly, with, I know, so obviously there's a bit of support and I really appreciate you getting behind uh, this with me, Sarah. Um <laughs> But what just, about, sorry, just quickly, what about some other activity like a Rubik's Cube? Would that be permissible? Oh. I think that, yeah, I just think. What do you have against knowledge? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more just the, the, that I think it's a move. I think there's an ulterior motive behind it. I think it's a statement. And right. that's fine. But I'm like, not on my sauna time. Just I think it's a take statement it down too. a notch, mm. guys. Oh, I feel like they're trying to trap you into conversation. Did you oh, watch it? Book. I went like this, and this is great for radio. <laughs> I went <laughs> oh, <laughs> to my friend. A yeah, little judgy bit face. of side eye. Yeah, I couldn't help it because I was like, well, look, I'm not going to lie. I thought it was stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think you made that 
very clear. Yeah. Anyway, so I've just picked on him. I apologise. So now I'm going to play um, a really quick game for you guys because I thought we'd all be on the same page that that was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Daniel's not. Yeah, I know. Daniel. <laughs> Oh, I'm either way. I'm happy. A fellow sauna reader in our midst. Wow, did not see that coming. Um, so a quick game called um, – it's called Read the Room, okay? Oh. So I'm going to give you a scenario and then you tell me the most inappropriate thing that you could be doing. Okay. Or just something that probably is not yet fitting for that scenario. Okay. Okay. Um, so I'll set the scene. You're on the doorstep of a share house and you're about to have an interview you're about to have an interview to become a new housemate. Mm-hmm. You haven't knocked on the door yet, but they can hear you through the door. Right. What are you doing? You you're not singing your favourite football club song. Oh, that's good. Okay. Anyone else? To Daniel. Are you giving yourself self-talk? Is that yeah, like, close. Like motivational. Motivational. Both, both very good answers, two points each. But I was going for um, you are aggressively disputing a utility bin on your phone and you utter the sentence, no, you listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, do we have time for one more? Yeah, yeah. 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 All um, the time. So you're... Um, you're at a wedding and it's the time between the ceremony and reception, you know, so they're off getting photos. Yeah. Mm. You don't really know many guests, so, you know, mm-hmm. you do an activity to try to get involved. What are you doing? Oh, you... <laughs> Taking photos of the bride. Close. <laughs> <laughs> Very close, no. Between your magazine reading yeah. and... <laughs> oh, <I can't> <laughs> um, completely off your own bat, you're sketching the guests. You know, <laughs> In those, like, cartoony kinds of pictures. Doing caricatures. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Caricature and exaggerating their worst feature. That's what you're doing. So there you go. Oh, one last one. You're yeah, on go a, on. You're on a tram. What are you doing? Reading. Uh, in a town. Uh, don't you dare. <laughs> no, you're busking and you're singing. <laughs> and you're singing Jason Mraz. <laughs> It's been Read the Room. <laughs> Thanks so much, Nat. Oh, Nat Harris, thank you very much. Triple. Ah. Zachary Drucker is a multimedia artist, LGBT activist and Emmy-nominated producer who has worked on the Golden Globe and Emmy-winning hit TV series Transparent. Zachary's in Melbourne for appearances over coming days at both the Festival of Jewish Arts and Music and a couple of events at the Capitol. Uh, Zachary Drucker, welcome to Breakfasters. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Our absolute pleasure. Now, you're a multimedia artist, a cultural producer, an activist, a photographer. How do you describe your career and what motivates what roles you take? You know, I think that like the multi-hyphenate um, career is sort of the new uh, you know, mode of operating for so many people. Um, you know, I feel like artists in the future have an expanded role in culture. Um, we're no longer just like relegated to the space of like high art or, um, and even though that was my origin point, um, you know, I've worked across media and I think that every idea kind of necessitates a different medium or a different set of um, skills and yeah it's been a and wild you've got ride. a lot of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I think the common denominator is just like a deep investment in expanding our culture's notions of difference mm-hmm. um, and that can take so many different forms I, I do believe in reaching the broadest possible audience um, and to 
kind of tell stories about trans people, um, to create empathy through storytelling. Mm. Um, there certainly has been uh, an increase in um, uh, the trans community being represented in popular culture um, over the years. Do you attribute that to anything in particular at all? You know, I think that trans folks for so long were relegated to um, victims and villains in the realm of like cinema and television mm. history, right? So you have like Psycho, Silence of the Lambs, Ace Ventura, Sleepaway, yeah, yeah, like uh, Sleepaway Camp, um, and then you have victims, right? You have like all of the television shows where trans women are, you know, coming up murdered on a CSI show or whatever. Um, I think that a few years ago we kind of hit reset in this, you know, moment in the States, we call it the trans tipping point, um, which was really catalyzed by Laverne Cox on this Katie Couric television appearance um, in which Katie Couric was asking about her surgical status. And she kind of reversed the narrative and said, like, look, let's take the attention off of our bodies and onto the pressing issues that are really affecting people and that affect all of us because, um, you know, gender-based discrimination impacts every single human being um, and, you know, the whole kind of um, apparatus of society. Um, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> you no, no, you answered I can it. go on yeah, some tangents. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. I mean, you, as part of this kind of conversation, you had a role on Transparent as a producer uh, that was quite unique. Could you talk about what that role involved? Yeah, you know, at the, the first... Um, Reese Ernst and I came on as consultants in the pilot and then, you know, very quickly kind of worked our way up the producerial ladder. So we were associate producers and then co-producers, producers. producers. Um, I was just, you know, a supervising producer on the finale. And, you know, producers do so many things. I think that's like a very common question for people. Mm -hmm. It's like, what do producers actually do? And the truth is that there are so many different ways of producing sometimes it's about financing sometimes it's about um you know contributing to like the creative process so that was how we entered was kind of shepherding the politics of trans representation through this character mora who is situated like in a family dynamic which was also very new because Mm. i think trans folks in um in media and storytelling are always kind of like these isolated lone wolf characters and like having you know you know witnessing a trans character and following all of the family members on that journey too and seeing how it kind of cracks them open um and there's this kind of like fracturing that happens um yeah i mean we i think that my the thing that i was most proud of on the show was creating a pipeline for trans and gender nonconforming people to have careers in cultural production. So, you know, employment discrimination is like the biggest impediment in the yeah. trans community. And having... in the show, like, how much integration was there, like, from the trans community? Obviously, there was yourself that was producing, but were you know, talk us about uh, some other roles that, and how many trans people were actually involved in the, in the show? Eighty or ninety. Um, we did a count, that's, actually, that's just like as the show has been ending. Um, we had, you know, basically a trans or non-binary person in every department. Um, we had, 
you know, dozens of speaking roles, so like named characters yeah. in in scripts. Um, and so many people used that, I think, as a as a jumping off point, and have now kind of catapulted into more visible arenas. Transparent has a very passionate following. Uh, it's screens on Stan in Australia. Can you talk to us about this musical finale? It's so good. I don't, I mean, it's, I, yeah, I can't give you any spoilers, but um, all of the characters sing. It's very surreal. Wow. It's like watching, you know, your favorite show, except all oh. of a sudden everybody's singing and the music is really solid. Oh. Um, like, the, it's really catchy. It's being developed into a Broadway musical already. Oh, wow. um, so I think that That's this incredible. is, yeah, what, Jill Soloway, the creator of the show, has been saying is that, like, Transparent is transitioning into a Broadway musical. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a hit. I mean, I hope it is. It's yeah. um, Judith Light. You know, Judith Light, it's like, has always been, you know, I yeah. think, you know, I think that, like, this is her moment to shine. Yeah. And she, she, you know, stars in the film, and the music is incredible, and she's the protagonist. So, um, I'm also interested to know uh, about. I read that you returned to Judaism whilst working on the show. Um, I, how and why did that come about? Was it because of the people that you were working on the show with, or was it the content of the show? Or was it something completely different? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I don't feel like I ever left Judaism per se, but I think that like so many secular Jews, um, our relationship and our connection to Judaism is primarily in like the first thirteen years of our lives, and yeah. then it kind of recedes as we move into our adult lives. Um, but we often fail to like recognize the ways in which our Judaism influences everything that we do. Um, so I did kind of, I think, uh, find my Jewish identity as an adult mm. while working on the show. Um, I think it was really helpful having, you know, Jill Soloway, actually, honestly, like um, nominated me to be a part of this group called Reboot, which is about like rebooting your relationship to Judaism. And it was transformative. Um, You know, I think that in the zeitgeist, when you kind of parallel like the the trans zeitgeist culturally is Mm -hmm. really loud right now. And then Judaism is this thing that's kind of um, not forefronted oftentimes by Jewish people. So, like, if you, for example, look up Jewish celebrities, you might notice that there is a ton of actors who are Jewish who just don't necessarily talk about it. or mm. Not that they're concealing it, but they just don't... It just Openly doesn't come identify up. it, yeah. yeah. So... You're, you're, you speak about the... Uh... The importance of creating empathy in art for to maybe uh, assist with the ideas that you're interested in. Yeah, is there what, what are some obstacles to to creating empathy or, or, or some ways to think counterintuitively about it? Because the characters in Transparent are not necessarily inherently likable, are they? Right. No, which I think is what makes them so human. Um, I mean, to me, they're like 
family members. I mean, they're like so many of the unlikable people that I love. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think that's why the show is so vivid and relatable. Um, The obstacles to creating empathy are that people are resistant to change. Um, I think that storytelling is the best way to create empathy um, because people relate to the universal themes that you present. And if you're able to imbue your characters with that kind of humanity, um, with that like gritty texture of what people are really like, um, they feel like they know a trans person, even if it's not in real life. So Glad in the States um, did a study a few years ago. Um, They polled people to find out how many folks knew trans people in their life and it was the 14% or 17% uh-huh. yeah, 14% so 86% of people in you know the United States presumably know a trans person in real life or 84% don't know a trans person all they get is what mm. they see in television mm. and media which is you know so it's crucial that we create representations that are, I think, relatable, human, and generate empathy from, mm. from viewers. And can you speak about some of the events that you're doing in town? You're, you're appearing at two panels at the Festival of Jewish Arts and Music. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here for that. That is on Sunday. It's a full day. It's at the Melbourne Recital Hall. Beautiful. And... Um, I would love it if any of you listening came to hang out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there'll be a lot to do and a lot to see. And then after that, on Friday, um, we're also doing a screening of The Queen at the Capitol, um, which is a uh, like 1968 cinema verite film that documents early uh, like drag balls. Um, and it's narrated by my chosen grandmother, Fala Sabrina, who's no longer alive, but who kind of orchestrated this incredible happening at Town Hall in New York, 1967. Cool. Uh, So to recap, Zachary Dracker is appearing two panels at the Festival of Jewish Arts and Music on Sunday, 8th of September. Head to fojam.com for more information. And Zachary is also appearing at two events at the Capitol on Friday, 13th September, and in conversation following the screening of the aforementioned documentary The Queen, as well as Masterclass, Queer and Transparent Gazing. Uh, For details and tickets about those appearances at the Capitol, head to thecapitol.rmit.edu.au. Uh, Zachary Drucker, welcome to Melbourne and uh, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Triple R. You've been listening to a podcast of the best bits of the Breakfasters, which is the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with Breakfasters via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website. <laughs>